You're listening to the Gimme 5 Podcast episode. Oh, wait, we're supposed to do something different for Jubals. Triple one. Oh. You're listening to the Give Me 5 Podcast episode, triple one. Or 111, if you're anyone but Jubals. Or 111. Yes. Or three, if you're doing the Roman numeral thing. Or math. Yes. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about numbers and numerology. We talk about pop culture, nostalgia movies, and music. And my name is <laughs> yes. My name is Greg. I'm joined by Rob. What up? And uh, Jimmy is in Dallas this week. Screw Jimmy. Yeah, something about a book depository and. Uh, Getting a job with the Cowboys. He's the new uh, quality control coordinator with the Cowboys or something, or the head coach or I don't know, whatever. But you are going to be hearing his sultry voice a little bit later in this episode when we do one of our interviews. Ooh. Yeah. So this episode's a little different. This week uh, is the second Friday, the 13th of 2019. Nice. And to, yeah. And to celebrate... We're going to have a few very special guests. So the first guest, um, as you may know, from the lack of Friday the 13th and Jason material over the past few years, other than the video game, which even the updates for that have ceased, uh, there is a rights issue to the character of Jason and the story of Friday the 13th. So this has, of course, led to a lack of those of films and TV shows or whatever they might possibly want to do with Friday the 13th. No left issues? No, no left issues. Sigh. Uh, we have invited our friend, Alex Olomita, an attorney. He's going to join us on the show in a little bit. He has basically been doing some research on us, on the legal ramifications and why this is happening. It's actually pretty interesting because there's some other reasons why we're seeing a lot of remakes that are sort of breaking out of this. So he's going to pop on for a little while to talk to it, talk to us about it and explain it to the, the dumb ones here. And then we're going to have an interview with the writer, director... And one of the stars of the Friday the 13th fan film, Never Hike Alone. His name is Vincent DeSanti. And he is working on the follow-up to Never Hike Alone, which, of course, you guys can watch for free on YouTube. So that's that. That is, in fact, that. I don't know that we're going to be doing too much in the way of spoilers today. However, I apparently am going to sing you the song of my people. See, Rob needs to proofread the, the, the script before he says it. Because, yes, Rob. <laughs> so I, Rob, I'm just going to sing you the song of my people. We're waiting. Uh, there it is. The song. Uh, oh, sorry. It goes on. Wow. Thank you. 
I am glad there's so there's not that many of your people left if that is the song of your people. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna jump right in here with some news. Couple of trailers, Rob. Did you get a chance to look at those when I sent them over to you? I did. You you sent me uh, you know what was it, thirty five millimeter reels? I wasn't sure where I was supposed to watch them. Yeah, but I, 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 I strapped I strapped them to some birds, sent them up your way. To a couple of, of uh, pigeons and uh, sent them. And I wrapped them around a bird and sent it back to you. Yes. Well and, done. And you can't see my webcam right now because it's not working. But, but you're giving the me the finger right there. Thank you. So the first one I want to talk about is the world, the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer, or WW 1984. It is, of course, set in the 80s. It is steeped in 80s uh i don't want to say references because it's not really references but it just has a good 80s look it is backed by the blue monday remix by new order which uh came out in 1983 so the album the movie being set in 1984 kind of makes sense and i thought it actually looked really pretty interesting i thought the action sequences look good um what do you think uh, I think it's promising. I do like the the look and the style of of the movie. I, I'm wondering why they're doing like almost all of Wonder Woman's Woman's movies in the past, but you know, whatever. Uh, we do see a a return of Chris Pine's character. Not confusing. Not quite sure how that works, but I guess they'll explain it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but DC doesn't have a great track record with being very good and i just hope they didn't screw up wonder woman with some stupid ass story yeah there's a couple little things in there that i caught and this is probably something you'll figure out because this this is kind of your thing but like when when wonder woman reappears in the beginning was it in jelly or batman versus superman or whatever Mm -hmm. there's that conversation with bruce wayne and she's she's been gone for a while right but if Wonder Woman 1984 is as big of a uh, whatever the villain does, which looks like some sort of like mind control kind of thing, uh, whatever he does, it can't have been that big if people forget that she ever existed. Because she is pretty much hush-hush up until JLA. So I thought that was that's going to be very interesting to see how they get around that. It might be why they take some time to show her destroying when the, she's in a mall because it's the '80s and everyone was in malls in '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, she destroys some security cameras with her right. uh, with her uh, circlet. Uh, that, thank you. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Wonder Woman was very similar to the first Captain America movie. This one has a little bit of a thing that makes me think it might be very similar to Iron Man 3. Because, okay. Because of Kristen Wiig's character. Okay. So, so Kristen Wiig's character, it's, it's Barbara Minerva, and she's like kind of a down-on-her-luck down on, down on her luck loser who seems to know and be sort of friendly with Wonder Woman earlier in the movie, which is very similar to... Uh, uh, Pierce, I forget the guy, the guy's character name, but Pierce yeah, is the actor. His name, his character in Iron Man, and I'm very interested to see how Barbara Minerva becomes Cheetah. Uh, Cheetah, I think is. I was going to say Cheetara, but that is definitely not it. But it's a uh, Cheetah, I think. 
I was going to say this, this seems like a, like a story very similar to that of like syndrome from yeah. the Incredibles. Yeah. Looking up to someone, looking up to someone getting shoved aside for whatever reason and getting back. Yeah. And then becoming a supervillain. Yes. I mean, there's only so many stories you can tell in the superhero world with, with there's just not that many, but uh-huh. just don't make it too similar. Have some twists and you should be good. Um, it is not super eighties that when I first saw this, I posted it on our Facebook page. I was like, I like that it's very eighties, but I also like that they didn't throw in all of the references. Like, you know, all of a sudden have someone roll up in like the 18 van mm-hmm. or like, you know, I can't do this. And what is this a transformer? You know, like that's not really how we talked back then. It's how we talk now. Uh, but it's not really what it was like in the eighties. So this was, it was pretty cool. Um, so I of course will be seeing this. I'm excited to see it. And I, I thought the colors in this action, the colors in this movie look really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, one other thing, the graphic style that they used to like put the stuff on this, on the screen, like the, the text, they did mm-hmm. the same, they did the same te- uh, text thing that they did for the original Superman movies. It was like that streak. So you those are such of- a nerd. I am a nerd. <sighs> yeah, you can see mine. Okay, the other one, Ghostbusters Afterlife. What you got there? I honestly, I'm kind of excited. I want, I want to see it. I, I like the the link. It seems like it, there's a link to the original Ghostbusters without there being a direct correlation to the Ghostbus- to the original Ghostbusters. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So they've got all of the old equipment, and it's – I don't know that I like the whole, you know, kids kind of screwing around and taking over, you know, that kind of aspect to it. But I – I like the connection without the without the overt presence of the original. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think it's I think it's a perfect opportunity for a cameo like towards the end of the movie. And I think we may end up getting that. Yeah, there's definitely gonna be a cameo, we know that. Um one of the characters is gonna be the the granddaughter of of Spengler, of Egon. Okay. Actually, well, and well, grandson and granddaughter. They the the girl, if you look, has got the little round glasses, got the like the way the curls fall on the forehead. Um trying right. to find her name. And who who does um who does Mike play? Uh, uh Finn Wolfhard. Um he is so the little it's so it's Egon Spendler's Harold Ramis' da- daughter is Carrie Coon. And and the trailer is automatically playing awesome uh they play his grandkids so it's, okay so uh, they're both spangler's grandkids yeah so the daughter is cat is callie is his daughter her kids are phoebe who's the younger daughter and then trevor is uh finn so okay it's gonna be that we- they, some people have complained about the kids thing thinking that they're just piggybacking on stranger things popularity mm-hmm um, which I kind of understand it. I don't know if that's, I saw the people complaining before I saw the trailer. So I don't know if that's immediately what I would have jumped to. Right. But other than the fact that it's the same actor, I think if they were worried about that, they wouldn't have used the same actors. So I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they of course can't have Harold Ramis on there because he is uh, dead. Mm-hmm. Unless he's unless he's a ghost. They could CG him in. <laughs> That'd be a problem. Not if not if the family gives permission. Yeah, true. But we could probably still have cameos by Venkman, Stance, and Zedmore. Oh, that's definitely happening. They've already verified it. It's not a can. It's. I'm thinking we're seeing a very very small portion of the movie in that trailer. Like nothing beyond a certain level. Like, like they, it, might, it might be the first thirty minutes of the movie. Right. Like they they're they're investigating and finding all this stuff going on, and then to combat the the evil, the the other three show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to help Spangler's grandkids. Yeah. The mine, which I don't remember the name offhand, but the mine is named after the one of the characters from the early movies, one of the people that was in the cult of whatever, of the villain. Who was the villain in the first uh, two Ghostbusters? Gozer. Yeah, it's the cult of Gozer. I think, I think that's the name they used. So the villain was... The name of the mine was something with the cult of Gozer. Uh, this, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned it. Does take the trailer takes place in Oklahoma, which is the other big change. It is not. It is the first New York City. not in a not New York City or a big city, whatever. So the Oklahoma thing is actually kind of interesting, and I'm, I mean, I'll be on board for that as well. I will go see that. Yeah, I probably will avoid going to see Mulan. Wow. Mike dropped. Katana dropped. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, do you have any news yourself? It's... Other than the breaking news is Rob will not be seeing Mulan. <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how much I stick to that because I know Jen's gonna want to see it, but I'm I'm slightly irritated at the fact that I saw a trailer recently and they took things like Shang and Mushu out to try and bring it more in line with the actual story and make it more realistic. And then they put in a shape-shifting sorceress. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Oh, man, I like, I like Mushu. I know! Mushu's my but, boy. But they took out Mushu and, and, and stuff like that in, an order, in order to make it more realistic and more in line with the original story. And then they put in a shape-shifting sorceress. <laughs> I'm like, Really? Really? No. <laughs> and there's no music, or there's no songs. I'm like, you know what? No. Screw you. Stop bastardizing my childhood, Disney. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're going to jump to Florida real quick. I don't have it on here, but I have my own little bit of Florida news. Oh, God. And this is not big or didn't make the actual news, but... So the other day I was I got to be in a parade with my kid, like a holiday parade, and it was fun. But you know, like when you're waiting around to do parade things, you're sitting around, and the 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 other parent that I was paired up with mm-hmm. it turns out that she worked she works for uh, customs in the uh, agriculture department, which in Florida is a big deal because if you try to bring something in here, that is like they will arrest you. Yeah, well, I mean it could kill out an entire industry if it's got like fruit canker or something like that yeah we're already having a problem with the fruit yeah we are that is true and uh like fruit flies whatever so i of course being me you you know what what is what 95 percent of our conversations rob whenever you're talking about a a rough day at work i I always immediately ask you so what have you removed from someone's butt right 
Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So, of course, me, um, there I am at this. And I could tell that, you know, this person was cool. So I was like, so what have you seen people trying to uh, sneak into the country in their butts? Yeah. <laughs> um, so she didn't have any stories like that, which is probably a good thing. But she said that her favorite one was someone tried to bring in a suitcase that contained, as her, her words, a whole ass antelope with a spear still on the side of it. Really? Yes. <laughs> An antelope corpse <laughs> with a with the spear still embedded in its side, and she had to explain why that was not allowed. And um, she said that they have a very big problem, like a significant problem, with people bringing rotting fish. Oh God! In their suitcases. From well, that that's disgusting. And it was not because of the rotting fish itself, but because it is apparently a delicacy to eat the very large grubs and maggots that feast on the rotting fish. So, but of course, everyone thinks they're the first person to get caught for something, right? So you open, so she opens up a suitcase and she's like, uh, what's this? And they immediately start grabbing handfuls of these maggots that are crawling around on the rotting fish and shoving them in their mouth to be like, no, you eat it. It's not anything bad. Oddly enough, that's not illegal. You can bring in rotting fish in your suitcase covered in maggots and flies and things like that. Really? Yes. Well, that's gross. Yeah. Uh, Various sausages made from random animals, just sausages from all over the world, like just Mm -hmm. not allowed. So do not try to sneak sausages into the country. Do um, not try to sneak sausages. Yes. So that's not allowed. But still, my favorite one was the fact that you opened it up and was taken aback that there was a whole ass antelope complete with spear. Wow. Yeah. So that's my own little bit of Florida. And I'm traumatized. <laughs> that's kind of epic, though. Yeah, <laughs> just, think, just think of the skill required to be able to spear the antelope and bring it down. Just think of the how to how the hell do you bend and contort a dead antelope into a thing? Like they had to like bend its head back or something. Like, mm-hmm. what did they cut parts off? But yeah, I guess not because they said a whole ass antelope unless they cut like the legs off and stacked them on top. I mean, I've never. I, I assume antelopes are bigger than even the biggest suitcase. Wow. So, listeners, if any of you have ever tried to stuff a whole ass antelope into a suitcase, uh, I want to see a picture of how that was done. We want to see how it was accomplished. Yeah. And I want to know why. Excellent. Yeah, I would also want to know why. What what are you going to do with that antelope that you couldn't just go the regular way? So that that takes care of of Florida in so many ways. The ritual requires a three-week dead antelope blood. (laughs) Well, let's see. I was shipping it for a week and a half, so I, I just have to wait a week and a half again. I guess I can eat my fish maggots. <laughs> oh, God. So, guys, with remakes hitting the theaters at a pretty alarming pace, especially for Rob's taste, uh, and a lot of these remakes, we've had a, a lot of horror icons making a comeback, right? We had... Uh, Chucky, Michael Myers, Pennywise, they've all kind of come back after many years away. Pet Cemetery, all of this stuff. It's a little bit of a surprise that Jason has not made a return to the screen. Uh, there is a reason for that, however. And that is an ongoing legal battle 
between Victor Miller, who is the Friday the 13th screenwriter, and the director of the original film, Sean Cunningham. Uh, so it's a pretty convoluted story. And so, so convoluted that, in fact, that we needed a lawyer to explain it to us. Lawyer! Yes. <laughs> so we, we will keep the lawyer jokes to a minimum, but we are going to welcome to the show Alex Solomita, Alex Solomita who I, whose name I said properly before I started this whole thing. Way to go, uh, Greg. <laughs> he's an attorney. He is a listener, but do not hold the listener part against him. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Don't hold the attorney part against me either. No, no, no. We're, we're, you're going to be useful when Rob inevitably gets sued for breaking his computer when th- when stuff doesn't uh, you know work out. So, <laughs> so welcome. Um, and we asked you uh, to do a little bit of research on this Friday the Thirteenth thing, uh, Jimmy. It was actually kind of Jimmy's call, but uh, he decided to then go on a business trip the exact weekend that he wanted to talk about this. So, <laughs> uh, I am apologizing on behalf of Jimmy, but we can. You know, maybe we can. Sue him for something. I'm sure we can figure something out. Do it. So go ahead and explain this Friday the 13th uh, stuff. Okay. Well, basically, as you've stated, there's about, there's a ton of remakes coming out and a lot of them seem like, well, those properties have been around for a while. And there's a reason for that. There's a rule basically that screenwriters or law, I should say that screenwriters can, um, after 35 years of their their property being owned by the studio, they have the chance to take it back. And if they if they do it within a certain time frame, you know, the studio has to give the rights back to the screenwriter. So Victor Miller, obviously in 1980, he wrote Friday the 13th. So somewhere around 2015 or so, he decided to assert his right to take back what he thought was his property. The only problem is the director, Sean Cunningham, who actually, I guess, owned the rights said, no, it's my property. So uh, they've been fighting this battle for a while. Victor Miller actually won the initial lawsuit. Uh, and uh, right now it's in a appellate court. And the appeals are going to be, or the oral arguments going to be heard, I think, in February of next year. And which means that we should have an answer as to where this will go sometime in the, by June or July of, of next year as well. More waiting. Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of attorney fees racking up. They probably, I, I think, a lot of people thought they'd figure out a way to work out work out something together. You know, uh, that might have made more sense than what they're currently doing. But they're both pretty entrenched in their stances. Uh, if you're Victor Miller and you you claim, "Hey, I wrote this, and Jason's my character," even though uh, you know Jason doesn't actually appear in the in the first movie, it, it, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, and there's probably going to be more battles about stuff like that. Uh, whereas uh, Sean Cunningham basically is saying that he didn't ever have the right to, uh, they never gave him the rights to reassert his claim on the property. Basically, Sean Cunningham is saying you were just a direct, uh, a writer for hire. So that's, which is, sounds kind of insulting in some ways, I'm sure. So that's kind of where they're at, you know, and the court obviously thought that Victor Miller did more than just uh, become a writer for hire. They, they thought that, he did enough. It was his property. Uh, Sean Cunningham basically said, ah, I came up with the title and I just told this guy to write a horror movie based on the title. And that was it. So, uh, so a couple questions. So how does that process work? So I'm a screenwriter. We'll pretend. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's hit that time. Is it like, is there like a finite limit in there? Is it like, okay, when it hits that 30, whatever years, do you have to like immediately go after it? Can it, can it be like 
35 years, 36 years, whatever. The only thing I know, and I'll be honest and say, I've researched it, but not enough to know. Because Unfortunately, I'm not a copyright attorney, because if I were, I'd be a lot more wealthier than I am. <laughs> uh, but uh, the studio owns the rights for 35 years. So I don't think you can do it on the 35th year. You're probably doing it a little bit before then. There's probably a little, there is, I'm guessing, a deadline that you have to assert your claim to the, to the ownership. And there's an article in The Hollywood Reporter that came out maybe in October, and apparently we're going to see a lot more of this. Uh, maybe not the lawsuits part, but uh, a lot of authors for like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the book that Die Hard was based on and Beetlejuice, just to name it, I think a few. So a lot of these things that we're seeing a lot of uh, remakes of. Yes. Uh, like Pet Cemetery basically was made, or I guess this year, to, you mm-hmm. know, to kind of get in under the wire because uh, apparently, the, you know, I don't I guess Stephen King and that in that capacity or whoever wrote the screenplay to pet cemetery uh from 1989 will eventually want the rights back to that same thing with terminator it's why you've seen a couple of terminators they might as well squeeze out a few more before it's too late i guess hmm. um so and that doesn't reset the clock so it's not like oh it, there's a terminator music no still. yeah no they're <laughs> just let's exhaust our you know let's make sure we make money off the property before we lose it because you know once the screenwriter gets it back you don't know where what studio is going to purchase it at that point so uh, and that's that's where this is all going. I mean, I'm sure Paramount. Well, it was Paramount. I'm not even sure who owns it now. It was Paramount. It was New Line Cinema. It was Warner Brothers. So. Yeah, the studios come and go. Yeah, it's funny because like as a kid, there was like I knew that like I I liked New Line because they had I think they did Ninja Turtles or something like Nightmare that. Nightmare Elm Street Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah. And then they were gone. I was like, how's that possible? They made some of the best movies ever. And Lord of the Rings too, I think. Um, did they? Yeah. So. So, so we'll see what happens. I mean, they're missing out. They're seeing Halloween make, you know, how much money did it make last year? Just in America alone, it made like 160 plus million. Uh, so I don't think it would be that big, but it, it would be pretty big. So they they certainly want to get, get it out and join the remake revolution. Yeah. M- much to Rob's chagrin. <laughs> Who doesn't need like a, the 13th entry in a, in a horror movie franchise? Or they're going to start doing cartoon remakes of live action stuff next. A cartoon, <laughs> a cartoon version of like Mary Poppins or something. Uh, the Godfather. Oh God, <laughs> that'd be that's that should be one of our questions in the future. Yeah, What's the worst possible of the cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> the worst possible cartoon remakes that they can make of live action movies. I think I'd watch that. I don't know. It'd, it'd be interesting. Nice. Just to see Fredo. who voiced Marlon Brando. Fredo, I believe in you, Fredo. He's like a talking rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, well, since, since we got you here, um, uh, we're going to have to go with your, what is your favorite lawyer joke? Oh man. I don't know if I have a favorite one, but the one I hear the most is, you know, what do you call? And the number always changes, but let's just say 50,000 lawyers at the bottom of the sea. And then the answer is a good start. So, uh, you know, uh, I think my uncle told me that once, which is, you know, very nice to hear. <laughs> nice. And uh, so as a, a listener of the show, you know, you know, the way this this whole question thing works. Um, so uh, just last week, you you actually sent in a really good list, which I'm, I'm throwing you a little bit on the spot if you don't have it right in front of you. But you uh, you did answer our question um, uh, you, via email. Uh, you you sent in the 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 thing that the movies that you show to other people that 
that they might not have seen or a little bit underrated thing, you know, whatever that, that question, it was from last yeah. week, episode 110. Yes. Uh, would you like to also share that list? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, so I think I had, I picked five movies and I added like three more because what's, what good is five and you can have eight. But, um, the, my, the top, the top one for me is Jaws. Anytime somebody tells me they haven't seen it, uh, it's required that they do see it. It's a, I think it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, number two would be Midnight Run, which I kind of, some people forget about it, but it's a great action comedy, uh, starring Robert De Niro, uh, Road to Perdition, which is one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies and performances. That one was interesting. I for, I had sort of forgotten that movie, but I read the comic book. It's, it's based on a graphic novel. I, I and, forgot about, I forgot it was based on a graphic novel. Um, and then I, so I've, I've saw it. I saw Road to Perdition like once. I think I was actually working at Blockbuster at the time and I got a free copy of it to like, like watch and I should probably see it again because I was very young. Yeah, it's it was very good. I, I mean, I don't know. It's it stayed with me. I saw it in the movies, and I've seen it a few times since. Um, and then this one is one of my favorite movies of all time as well, Zodiac, which um, you know, I think a lot of people, when it was released, thought it was going to be like a horror movie. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not that, but I think it's a classic personally. They and wanted then, se- people wanted seven. People wanted seven. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the the number five is a, an action movie that I think people forget about, but. Anytime it's on TV, I'm watching it. It's the Long Kiss Goodnight with uh, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. Nice. And then, just for fun, my honorable mentions were Point Break because I don't know. I feel like everybody should see Point Break. Uh, the, the original, not the remake. Oh, which I have not yes. actually seen. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to watch it either. I, certain certain movies can't be remade. I don't think you could recreate Point Break. Um, mm-hmm. Trading Places, one of my favorite Eddie Murphy movies, and then uh, uh, Clockers, which I just think is an underrated Spike Lee movie. So. Nice. I like that era of, of movies. Clockers, Dead Presidents. Yes, um, 95. That, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's another one. Cool. So, well, first of all, thank you for coming on and thank just kind of sharing a yeah, little bit of the, the law side of stuff. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Again, I'd like to thank Alex Solomita for joining us on our show. Up next, we've got Vincent DeSanti talking to us about Never Hike Alone, Never Hike in the Snow, and fan made films in general. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Give Me Five podcast. This is our Friday the 13th special, and we are joined by our very special, special, special guest. I got ahead of myself. Producer, actor, director, writer, and stuntman, Mr. Vincente DeSanti. How are you guys doing? So much. Thanks Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. yeah it's my pleasure to be here. So as I said, then is the uh you are the writer and director of Never Hike Alone, mm-hmm. uh yeah, among true. other things. Uh we covered what has it been, two years? Since its release, yeah. About yeah. two years. Two years and uh and now uh two months. I mean yeah. it was uh, October of twenty seventeen is when we made our official release. I so, watched uh, Legoland. Oddly enough, on my iPad, <laughs> there for the when I was there for the first time with my child. Yeah, on the awesome. giant projection screen they had on the side of Lego Mountain or whatever. Go, go play with the Legos, Ethan. I'm Daddy's gonna watch this. <laughs> yeah, yep. I uh, the day that it came out, I uh, I had read um, something a few days before actually on BloodyDisgusting.com, 
that mentioned it's released and had a, a few screen caps, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, that looks really fucking good. Um, you know, there's, there's a, I guess kind of a stigma around fan films, um, for, for some people, um, you know, you think maybe low budget, low quality, um, this one, certainly not. Um, I was, uh, I, I got a bunch of snacks and I turned the lights off on Friday the 13th and I watched it and I loved every second of it. And we uh, we covered it about two years ago on the on the podcast. So awesome! Yeah, no, it's always interesting to hear how people um, experience it. I mean, some people were there night one, and it was that was a really special time. And when we when we came out and we debuted at Telluride, and we saw everything kind of like taking off on the internet, and all the websites were getting behind it, and the fans were getting behind it. And you were hearing all these stories about fans that had been fans for a long time and and loved it. Or somebody who really never watched Friday the 13th before and all of a sudden was now interested in the series. And so it had been such a downer at that time. You know what I mean? It had been almost nine years without a film. The rights were going to transfer over. Paramount gave up on their last version after four tries. Um, The game was going to come out and the game did come out, I think, right before Never Hike Alone came out. Um, And that was actually fan funded. Uh, that came out of a crowdfunding campaign. I mean, but it was officially backed by Friday the 13th. So it started to show like kind of right then and there that fans could start to contribute back into the franchise when the studio seemed to be lacking. And so for me, I just, that was my intention with it was just that nothing's going to get made. I want to direct, I want to do this and we have this opportunity and I've built this cost. I was just building a cosplay. I wanted to build something that looked good on camera and I wanted to make little shorts with them. Never Hike Alone was just birthed out of us finding that that abandoned camp and saying, oh, what could we do? And it was a lot of commitment by a lot of different people. We, we gave up our lives, I mean, for like a year and a half, even longer. It just wow. committed to going up every weekend and just figuring out every angle and figuring out every set direct decoration and how we couldn't let anything go to waste. We couldn't let one frame go to waste. And it took a lot of trial and error. And, and, you know, so I think it was such a good relief after all that effort to come out and have people now look at fan films and kind of give them a shot. You know, I think that, yeah. like, there's definitely been a boom since our success. And it's been really cool to see a bunch of other filmmakers stepping up to the plate and taking swings. I've gotten, you know, I've got a chance to work with a few of them. I've been, I've starred in a few of them and, you know, I'm, I'm part of uh, you know, it's not a fan made film, but it's, you know, part of 13th fanboy, which so seems like it's crowdfunded. It's, you know, got Friday the 13th alumni in it. So it's really been this wild ride for me, but my favorite part of it is always when I get to sit down and talk to people and say, how did you experience it? And as a Friday the 13th fan, you know, and even people who just discover it now, it's really cool. They come running back and they just realize that Tom's in the film and stuff like that. So yeah. we have to relive it again. But there was nothing like that first night when everybody kind of had that initial reaction. We really could pull the rug out from everybody with the Tom stuff. And it was, you know, it was just, it, it was this series of events that, you know, you couldn't, you could never predict, especially with a fan film. I mean, it was just like, it, it was like fate in a way. When I watched that movie, it was one of the first things that occurred to me is it it did not reek of well, obviously studio interference. There was well, no, there was nothing in there like could this explode bigger? Or when well, he gets that stabbed, that was me. <laughs> that was, yeah. How can we make this thing get, blow blow up even bigger? How can we do this? How can we make it bigger? So like it 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 was organic. It was that's and it made it scarier. 
it, well, it wasn't I, like when this person gets stabbed can they get stabbed to a coke machine like because obviously none of that stuff was going to happen and that well, is like another one of the things i like about the the crowdfunded stuff it, it really felt like a return to the almost the roots of friday the 13th um i mean as friday the 13th as the as the franchise has moved on it's gotten bigger and more ridiculous and the kills have gotten more ridiculous. And it's like, you know, what do we do that we can top the next episode? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, this film really felt like a return to the roots, so to speak of Jason originally as he, as he was appearing in like the second film. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a mixture. I mean, I'm a big fan of the undead version of Jason. Um, I'm a big fan that that there's something there's a real curse and that curse mm-hmm. is what's guiding everything. And so that really guided my vision and where my logic stood. It was like if it could happen in a supernatural curse and the same type of logic that you would apply to a conjuring film, which feels like a grounded reality where things are happening that people can't explain. And when you bring with that sort of focus to something that is often seen as silly or campy, you can actually ground it and create more terrifying situations because now the stakes are real. Where I think is what people saw with the Friday the 13th franchise in its later stages was it become ungrounded. It became so unfounded that it was no longer in any like realm of reality. It followed no logic. It was just get that body count up, show them boobies and bring home the money. And then it became, where can we send Jason? What can we make him fight? What can we do this? And it wasn't just about like a story about Jason and Camp Crystal Lake, which is something that we really, really wanted. And in 2009, we kind of got it, but it felt like a convoluted mess of the first four films. And it, I don't know, for me, it didn't really land. And it also didn't spark a franchise. I mean, there was no sequel. They couldn't decide what they wanted to do next. They went from found footage to you know, uh, a period piece to something more, you know, again, another period piece that was like three parts and like had Pamela and Elias and Jason at the end and really just like spread to the wind. And it was just like, when can we just get a simple story? And that's, you know, I think that's kind of like, I think when they started pitching found footage, I was like, please don't do that. Like it's going to come out like Hollywood resurrection and it's going to be really bad. Um, but you know, even though that David Bruckner was involved, he probably could have pulled it off in some way, shape or form, but there were so many challenges about making it certain amount of people. And that was like, the best way to do it is just one person. And how great would it be if you stumbled across camp crystal Lake and you got to investigate it yourself, you got to see it up close. It's like one thing that like, as a fan was always a dream of mine to actually be able to, I used to like, as a kid, imagine myself in crystal lake walking around watching oh, yeah. spying on jason you know what i mean i think that's something yeah. that we all might share as friday the 13th fans so in in the context of kyle searching the camp which when we found that camp opened up that pandora's box of oh the where can we go and how can we tie this and i think that when you look at a franchise like friday the 13th it has its really hardcore fans like me that i know every single detail from every single film And it would have been really nice to like really figure out like way to put force green up and put all these different things. But what it would have been doing is convoluting the message. And I think what I wanted to do was unite everybody around a very familiar image, which was the first movie and letting that kind of permeate out. Mm -hmm. That was kind of an untouched. You don't touch the first one. Let's just keep the first one. Just leave it as it is. And then let's just branch off of that in logic in a more grounded and confound way where the events of two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight 
have all happened in the Paramount world in some way, shape, or form. But in this world, this is where it is now, and this is how it exists, and it's forgotten. You know, basically yeah. since the Manhattan incident, Jason has gone recluse. He was washed out to sea. He was washed back to Crystal Lake. He licked his wounds back there, but he wasn't buried, and he wasn't held down, and he wasn't in there. So the first time he got to go back to being part two Jason just as an undead monster. And so he's trying to piece himself back together, and that's what the Kyle MacLeod is stepping into. And that's kind of the, the, the mental aspect I took to it, where this creature which has gone into hiding and trying to keep itself hidden so it's not buried, so it's not destroyed, so it can continue to protect its mother, that it can be left alone and at peace. And when it's that peace is disturbed is the yeah. only time he will come out. And so that's kind of, it's almost like a mummy's curse in a way. So that was how I designed the Never Hike Alone outline and story, you know, and then looking at films like 127 Hours or The Martian, oh. you know, things that like yep. man versus nature mixed in with found footage and na natural photography um, and tell a good story. And so, you know, at the end of that, it all came down to Andrew Lady, you know, as Kyle McLeod, who carries the film for most of it. Um, and you know, didn't, you know, I think, uh, one of the things that you had sent me was, uh, you know, didn't want us to make a, want to kill a YouTuber. Yeah. Um, you know, which was something I was like really adamant about, like, no, you, Good. you're a YouTuber, <laughs> but like, we got to make you charming and everyone's going to like you. Like you got to yeah. have like a maturity to you that others don't, but still, and that's who Andrew is. Andrew's a very playful guy. He's got a great personality. You want to hang around him. He makes everybody laugh. And so it was really let... Andrew harness those really charming aspects of his character and then bring it out and deliver basically the, you know, the story of what he's doing and why he's going there, but also reminding fans about Camp Crystal Lake. And I treated the, I kind of treated the theory around Camp Crystal Lake a lot like, um, a lot like uh, Jamestown, where if you ask somebody about Jamestown, they'll usually either say, oh yeah, it was the thing with Kool-Aid, right? But they can't tell you any of the details about it. They just know an event happened and there's Kool-Aid. And that's kind of like Friday the 13th. Oh, there's some something happened. The mom died and then some people died. And then a lot of stories. But who knows what's true? I mean, how could any of it be true? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's often how we reintroduce characters into stories anyway. You know what I mean? The legends are true. It's usually a character who's some babe in the woods who doesn't understand what's going on, who stumbles across it by accident and then understands he's opened up a much you know, bigger story that he's now become a part of. And that's the Kyle McCloud story arc. Um, and so it's really, you know, it was just, I don't know. It was like all these different things just seemed to work in the realm of Friday the 13th built around this theory. And that's how Never Hike Alone kind of came to be. And that's how I started developing the sequels and all the things that, you know, have kind of come from it since then. Yeah. I, I have a million questions. <laughs> I do too now. Um, uh, first of all, yeah. how did you find the camp? We found the camp by chance. Um, I had scouted a location where we shot the first teaser, um, mm -hmm. which the first teaser is in that location. It's not at the camp yet. It's shot in a, right down the road from it. And the people who let us shoot there kind of were laughing at us because they saw me running around in a Jason costume. And, you know, we were kind of <laughs> we were you know, it was fun. Nice. Like, it was funny. And so they were like, you know, we're fans of Friday the 13th. You know, I, why are you shooting over here? And we were like, well, we look at your cabins. They're amazing. They're old. They're really creepy. And she was like, yeah, but you guys could just shoot at a camp. And we're like, we don't have the money to shoot at a camp. We're like, no, no, no. If you go up the street. There's a camp and it's abandoned. If you follow this road, it'll take you right up there. The guy pulled out a map, showed me where it was. 
I took a picture of it. Um, and that was that for the day. Wow. So we kind of all looked at each other like, I wonder what's here. And he had kind of described like, oh, there's a main cabin and there's some other stuff. Who knows if it's still intact? Who knows what kind of shape it's in? But probably worth checking out. And so we went home. We cut our trailer. We released it. People covered it. Friday the 13th franchise.com. I think bloody – no, bloody disgusting didn't cover it at that time. It was just Friday the 13th franchise.com mm -hmm. um, and a few other smaller sites. And so we – we kind of like at that time we're like, what are we going to do? We're going to, we were thinking about running a, a, a crowdfunding campaign. And that's when we were like, well, let's go check out on this, this hunt, this like tip that we got. So I ended up looking on like Google maps and I was scanning the area and his map didn't line up to what Google maps was reflecting. There was stuff missing. There were missing roads. There were missing entranceways. It was stuff that had been like wiped off the map. Because he was actually a murderer. <laughs> but I think it was stuff that because what happens is that these places got shut down, so they no longer exist. So there's no need to mark them on the map, which became another thing for Friday, like another thing for Never Hike Alone. I took inspiration <laughs> from that, and that's how I like that's why nobody can find Crystal Lake. It's off the map. It's not in the charts anymore. There's trails to it, but they're not marked. You know, they don't want people going there. That's done very purposefully. Oh um, man, I'm getting chills right now. Um, it's just you're just taking me right back to the so, first time I went to Crystal Lake. Right. So yeah. we, so eventually what ended up happening was I started to look at the topography and kind of like, I started scanning it like cell by cell. Eventually I found a building and I could see yeah. it plain as day. It was the main cab. And I went, Oh, I think that's it. And it lined up on the map where it should have been. And then I traced from there. I could see the cut in the woods where the road was. So I marked it on the map. There was a mile marker, um, that it was associated with. So, I called up everybody and said, hey, guys, I found the road. Uh, who's coming with me? <laughs> and so it was me, Chris Dulles, Kyle Klein. Um, I believe uh, JD wasn't there for the first one, but uh, John, our buddy John might have been. Um, and we went and I, had, I drove a, in a Ford Escape at the time. And so we drove up there. Uh, we found the mile marker. We pulled on. I mean, I've driven by this mile marker a thousand times on my way. Oh, wow. Mile. Pull in and there's a gate. And so we pull up to the gate. And we get out. We're like, all right, we're going to hoof it. And so I walk up to the gate to step over it. And I notice that the gate isn't actually locked. There's a chain, but it's just a nut and bolt holding it together. And there's no sign that says no trespassing. It's just sort of gated. And so I look at the guys and I undid the nut and I open up the gate and we drove through and closed it behind us and locked it back up. And then we drove up this road. And so this road was unkept for probably 30 years. Uh, there were mudslides. So like there were rocks in the road and there were things. So we'd have to get out and like roll a rock off the road. Um, and then we got into a, a nicer part where it was like all tree covered. And in fact, it's in the film. If you watch the opening to Never Hike Alone, mm -hmm. when he pulls off road, that's not the actual road to, to the camp. But all the roads he drives on after that is the actual road to our camp. The one where he drives away from camera, when he go, goes across the stream, that's all part of our trip. We put that in the movie very specifically to like pay, pay homage <laughs> to this, this yeah. freaking trek that we used to have to take. So then we drove down. There's a little river. Mm -hmm. You cross that. And then you go up this steep incline with like a sheer drop on your right side. Um, again, rocks have fallen down this road. Who knows if it's going to collapse? We, you know, we clear the rocks off, clear the rocks off get up to the plateau, come around the bend, come between these two giant, like really odd looking trees. And then we saw the first building. 
Um, and if you ever watch the Never Hike Alone behind the scenes, which is on our YouTube, you see that moment. We actually recorded it with our phones and friggin' Kyle did it with vertical video, which I recommend. <laughs> friggin' <and> Kyle. <laughs> but you see it and you hear our first reaction. And then we pulled up to the main cabin and we got out and it was just like, what happened? Like, what, what did we just stumble into? We went through each of the cabins and they were mostly empty, mostly in good shape. Um, there was no graffiti. There was no, um, damage. There was broken glass. There were things like that. So sure. we just needed to, we just needed to figure out what, we, what story we were going to tell now that we had this, the first version of Never hike alone was all exteriors. It was very quick. Jason stepped right out and attacked him. There was no really, <clears throat> there was no really getting into the psyche. Really. It was just a straight, you know, one, two punch of a short just to get something action. We just wanted to do something with some visual effects, do some tests. It was just supposed to be a five to 10 minute thing. When we walked into this place, we were like, we could tell a real story here. I could write something that really brings this place to life. And so it became from there, just studying the camp and studying each of the rooms and, you know, eventually coming up with the idea for the red ribbons. Um, and that really told the story and that gave us this string to follow all around the camp and give everyone this really in-depth tour of crystal lake which is the like for me like other than the jason stuff that's my favorite part well looking at all the stuff looking at all the the, the things yeah. that are there and like seeing like oh like all that you know, it's just i don't know there's just something about it it feels like you're there like really setting the, the stakes but like every Friday the 13th fan watching or anyone really watching knows that as he's going deeper and deeper to the camp, it's getting creepier and creepier and we're creating different atmospheres and it's getting cooler and cooler. And each new set is cooler than the last. And, you know, then we finally get to the Jason stuff and it's all action. And, you know, and what, you know, very rarely in Friday the 13th films, do you get a lot of action and stunts? I mean, you get stunts, but they're very brief and it's, it's a one shot kill. It's a one throw dump. It's one, it's this, but to compound action, never been done before in a, in a Friday the 13th, maybe other than Freddy versus Jason, which was a straight up fight film. Yeah. Um, and uh, forget so, about we want, so we wanted to do that, but with, you know, a character who's flesh and blood and grounded and up for the task to at least defend himself and not yeah. be an easy victim and to make Jason work for it. Also, you know, Jason's rusty. So there's like this, oh, you know, it's like yeah. this. You know, the, you know, Jason's still kind of, it's been a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, we're going to see. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. You're oh, gonna see. What I was going to say was, is that like, we're going to see things like that. You know, we, the psyche of Jason, we kind of touched upon it in our disappear music video. Um, yes. In the way that, you know, you see that there's like this disconnection in him. Yeah. Like he's doing the thing that he's doing, but something is like, something's missing and some or something's he's starting to realize something that maybe maybe they're not the problem <laughs> maybe yeah. he's the problem um and you're going to see a little bit more of that in never hike in the snow about his like awakening of like self like a self-realization of what he is and what he does and how he's used but how he is just as cursed as everyone who steps onto his it's like almost like the reluctant killer he's like well here i go again i gotta do it again yeah, you forced my hand, and now I got to take action because this is what I'm here to do. This is what Mother tells me to do, and so I'm going to do it. Nah. And so this forever, you know, this forever guilt of her loss and all that, all of this because of him, like all that building there. But that's what drives him. But the angrier he gets, the more 
of that that Jason that we remember because remember he's he's a premonition of Pamela's focused rage, that rage that drove her crazy, that rage that drove her to kill two kids and then come back and kill seven more people and then drove her all the way to get to a fight and get her head cut off. And it was that spirit, it was that vengeful spirit that when it gets awoken in him, that's when he goes into blind rage. That's when he finds that Pamela rage again. Mm -hmm. But when he's just Jason and he's within his own 12-year-old boy head and trying to survive and and almost in that, that, you know, that, that two tier structure of like Pamela kind of guides him in everything that he does. And he has that, he still has his own thought and his own recollection of like, what the hell has happened to me? Where, how how did I get here? You're going to, you know, sit there in your room at some point in in the video, you know, and, and go, what the shit, you know, what's going on here? Uh, yeah. And, but I mean, it's also like him not understanding what he is, you know what I mean? Like yeah. seeing himself as a de- decomposing beast, you know, this hulking thing that like, he doesn't remember ever being, um, you know, he's this, you know, he is the, the living embodiment of the death curse and that's what he's there for. And so, you know, part of his costuming for me at this stage is not because he wants to dress up and look fancy, but because he wants to cover himself because he can't stand the sight of himself. Mm-hmm. He can't stand his face that it's rotting and that he has no eyes, but yet he can still see that his, you know, his nails are starting to, or his like bones are starting to come through his, like his fingers or like his rib cage is showing and, and all this stuff. So he's very well covered up and he makes it feel like what skin he has left and what, you know, what tissue he has left. He can still assemble some type of living creature, not be so lost in his own thing. I, I don't know. It's like you when you create stuff, it helps motivate you when you come up with weird backstories for stuff. But I always wanted to come up with like a really, you know, it's just, it was just a fun thing to explore really. And that's really how like the ghost Jason mythology came to be. How important was that for you playing Jason? Did, did you develop kind of your own, you know, mythos there and, and, and how in character, you know, how deep into that character did you get? Did you feel like that monster? I mean, yeah. I mean, I would, I would be there. I mean, there were times I would go to the camp. Well, I mean, I didn't do all the stunts. I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Brian Forrest, who was my stunt double. There were Mm -hmm. a lot of things that, um, if I had gotten hurt, if anything happened to me, the whole production was shut down. So the, the stunt coordinator was very adamant about, um, you know, giving Brian all the stunt work, letting me work with on the character acting things. Um, and so it was really like, I mean, it was like almost 50, 50, you know, when it came down to it, I mean, some, some places in there, a lot of, I get credit for a lot of Brian's work. And anytime anybody points something out, I'm like, no, that's Brian. Like he did that. He did a great job. Everything was based on movements that we rehearsed together, stuff that I designed. I mean, it was still how I acted it. He was my double because he acted how I wanted it to, to be done. But there were certain elements where if I was just an actor, I could go out and do it, but I was also directing. So camera was very important to me in in, in a few of these scenes where if I wasn't behind camera, we were going to fall behind on the day. So those were also days that like I hop behind camera and just let Brian take charge. Um, But there were also days where it was literally me in a costume directing Chris on a camera with JD running AC and, you know, Andrew there and the four of us, five of us doing a lot of the scenes, like the ax throw stuff and a lot of chasing through the woods um all the no trespassing scene signs were done with a, a very gorilla crew we did the the lakeside scene with a gorilla crew um 
you know, it was only really the two big fight nights or the, the two big fights that really like Brian is what, what he did. And so there had to be a shared mind there. And so I had to give Brian what was going through my head and how I processed Jason's thought pattern. So that equated into his body movement. We talked about speed of body. We talked about, you know, how would Jason fight? He's obviously not a fencer. You know, he's obviously got no real skill. He's just a brute strength swinging the swinging the sword. Yeah. So, you know, we had to come up with a way that it didn't feel hokey and it didn't feel rehearsed, but it felt like this wild animal was coming at Kyle and doing everything it could to kill it. And And the more we treated him like that, because think about it like this. I mean, again, we always went to that. It was a fun place to go to, to be like, imagine you're a 12 year old boy and this is your eternal responsibility to kill people you're going to be eloquent eloquent with it are you going to be like sophisticated with your kills or are you a hack and slash beat this person down until there's nothing left and yeah. so we had and so that's that's the system that we really worked out for him and it was real fun to do that um and then make giving you know kyle the quickness and the agility to get and dodge and block and be swift enough but still you know we had to give jason his due and there was a real level between like how much could we afford to hurt kyle you know how much could we afford to hurt jason i yeah. wanted to do a bunch of gags where kyle would stab him all the time <laughs> at time, like i had like, so many gags. i know but I... think about all the, the costumes we would have had yeah. You know, we would have had to pay for all the costumes, all the effects, all, you know, what to track it. I would have had to figure out like, okay, this is a scene where he's only got five stab wounds, not 10. Oh. You know, it's like, so, you know, we, we just, we decided to go with things like the chair break or um, hitting in the face or, or things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and we had to come up with clever ways. And so a lot of it was through like backyard wrestling shit, like throwing through tables and smashing with yeah. chairs and throwing over stuff and like, you know, I, I had friends who did a lot of backyard wrestling and filmed it. And so uh, <laughs> and I talked to the stunt people about it. I said, what if we did stuff like research? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Well, why are you doing that backyard wrestling? It's never going to help you in life. Oh, really? Right, see? And so, but, but we knew that those. <laughs> right. Devon, so get the tables. Create stunts, you know, based on what our budget was. And, you know, those things became our replacement for multiple kills. It wasn't yeah. multiple kills. It was multiple stunts. And it was a character that was going through each of these stunts where in a previous film, a character would have died. Get thrown off the second floor of a building. Oh, you die. Well, guess what? The real truth yeah. is you don't die unless you fall from, I think, over 80 feet. That's the only 100% chance. Oh, wow. 100% that you die. If you fall anywhere from 79 feet, well, not 70, maybe 75 below, there's actually a higher percentage that you could survive it with injury, of course, but you'll survive. And so like we wanted to take Kyle as a character and see what could we do to him? I mean, there was a time that I offered in the script that like, remember when Jason grabs his leg, I wanted him to stab his leg with the machete <laughs> and like go through his calf and Ooh. like, and then like Kyle had to like try to get out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then like Kyle, like then Jason would rip it back out. And that's when, he would like scurry away. Um, and then my, <laughs> my stunt coordinator said no. <laughs> and, uh, and the, my budget also said no. So it was the hand grab instead, which, you know, again, it's like, it works. It's, that was a fear of mine too. Like imagine when you were a kid and if you were playing in the woods, hide and seek, and all of a sudden Jason grabbed your leg and tried to pull you out of the bush. Um, it's a pretty terrifying thought. So I usually went to places like that, like 
actual physical scared things I was scared of as a kid and put that into the film. So I thought that that would be a good way to translate it out to people who probably felt and experienced the same terrors that I did watching. Yeah, certainly I did, you know, getting pushed out of the second story of a, a farmhouse or a cabin. It's, yeah, that's, that's one of them for me, for sure. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I think now is a good time to tell you that Rob, uh, he is actually a nurse and one of his big things when he watches various movies is like, he'll be like, uh, I'll be like, Oh, I really like mission impossible. He'd be like, yeah, but 18 things would have killed him before the movie was over. It's like, no, 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 that, no, he'd be dead. What do you do to stop? What? Like there's nothing, no one would survive that. So the fact that you said that, I think gave him a little bit of glee in his heart. Yeah. I noticed him smile when you started talking about like, you know, the, the research that went into it. Yeah. I mean, when I, when we did the whole thing about like him sewing his own wound, knowing that like he couldn't go back into the forest because the infection would have killed him. Um, that was for me cutting my arm at the camp doing work. And I stayed there for seven hours. I went to the emergency room at 1am and I got like basically accosted by the nurse who was like, are you crazy? You cut your arm on glass at some abandoned ass camp and you're just coming to us now. This could have gotten infected. This could have happened, blah, blah, blah. And like running down the list of things that would have happened to me. And I was like, wait, stop, get me a pen and paper. All right. (laughs) What would have happened to me? Uh huh. Oh, that's a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're getting sewn up. No, so yeah, so wait, 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 wait. Let me see. Wait, so what do you wait, wait, wait. Do I missed that last one. What, what was that How last one? Make this not infected. Okay, if it is infected, right, what does well, it gonna, look you're like? Spray, what? Ow! You're gonna spray what? Ah, shit! Ah. Okay, what is that? Okay, yeah, okay. You can have that as a pack. And like, literally, like, like asking the entire time. Okay, what's the process? What do they do next? And watch them sew it up, and then kind of. And that nurse became very less. No, uh, no, she was very less they gentle. Were great. I mean, they? they did a great job. Um, <laughs> they were actually really happy to help. They were actually laughing at us okay. were making the movie. Um, and then we wrote that into the film again. When he sews up his wound, it was very much my experience. We made it on a bigger level. Um, we talked to Jess uh, Bennett, who's not only our stunt coordinator but also was our medic, and she um, and she guided us through that process of what she would have done. Um, we tried to stay kind of close to it in the ambulance, but we obviously had to kind of like stall the driving away, uh, for a little bit. We know that usually people don't get like really cleaned up at at the site. So they just try to get them out of there as fast as possible. But that was, we were like, you know what? We followed so many rules. Let's just bend. like, I'm just going to bend this one thing. Like Tommy's (laughs) going to make this little notification and then he's going to drive off And and Jason just catches him in that moment. That's our only, that's our only stall. And so it was kind of, it like it i knew it i was stretching it but at the same time i was like okay entertainment logic has to go here i know only the nurses will get mad at me <laughs> because because i was also an emt mm. who drove an ambulance before i was a nurse I yes i was and that that portion was the only part of the film that i had a huge problem with i'm like what the hell is going on <laughs> Yeah, no, because because you you can ask these guys. Because when when we reviewed it, I was like, you know, how did how did the ambulance find him in the middle of the woods? They they just like drove past him. What what, what no, was this? So you're actually going to see this in in one of our sequels. This actual scene. Um, it would have. I wish I would have had the money for it, but I. Uh-huh. It, so two things. One, we were always in Kyle's perspective. So since Kyle doesn't know how he got there, neither does the mm-hmm. audience. 
it's just he got found. It's one of those things. He does say one thing in his confession where he says, I think if I can get back on the other side of the cove, I can make it back to like there and I can I can survive. If I can just get over there, that's patrolled. Someone will find me basically is his strategy or he's going to find something. He's going to find a forest ranger hut. He's going to find, you know, something's going to be on the trail. Those are trail because he's not on a trail where people frequent where he is right now. Nobody walks through. They're not even allowed out there. So if he stays out there, he's dead. He's got to get back to the patrolled trails. We probably could have been a little bit more clear about that. But that's his intention, and that's what works. And in, and in Never Hike Again, um, just to kind of skip ahead a little bit, in that film, it's called Never Hike Again because it's Never Hike Alone again, but all to- from Tommy's perspective. So you see life as, as it is for Tommy Jarvis, what he's going through. You're oh. going to see some things from the ambulance scene that maybe he deals with and can relate to. Um, then you're going to see you know, basically how, how he fits into the town and what he deals with and how he sees Jason, because from his perspective, Jason's been gone for 30 years and he's got this, he's so sure he's out there somewhere, but maybe he's finally gone. Maybe it's been quiet just long enough and nothing's going to happen, but he's still kind of living with it. And then one night he gets a call from the, you know, the, the station calls in a forest ranger calls in and says, Hey, I got a guy out here. You got to come pick him up. And that's how it all begins. They just get called out. A forest ranger found him on the side of the road, patrolling the the, the trails. And the ambulance is going to come out and pick him up and drive him back. And you see it all from Tom's perspective and how it all led up. And you see Kyle on the side of the road, you know, barely alive. They load him up. They put him away. And it's, you know, and you know, I mean, we all know is who anyone who's seen Everhike Alone, we know what's coming. But we see it from a different angle. I, I kind of uh, I liken it to like when you watch Back to the Future 2 and you see Marty seeing something that he's seen before, but from a different angle. Um, and we're going to show people the things that they wanted to see in Never Hike Alone that we didn't have the budget to, which is what happened to Tommy when he got pulled out of the van? What happened to Axel when he confronted Jason? What happened to the girl when she got pulled out of the van? And actually show that side of it and then even continue the story on from there and not end it with him just driving away down the road that we see what happens when Jason keeps going on and what the next event is. And it's a really cool way to fill in those gaps that people had, but show that it's almost like two stories are converging. We know Kyle McLeod's story, but now we're going to find out Tommy Mm -hmm. Jarvis's story. And when those two stories intersect, it really begins the second half of the story, which is a buddy story, two people who don't necessarily like each other, but need each other. And Tommy needs, you know, Kyle for the the answers that he has about what he's discovered, how he's uncovered Jason after all this time. And Kyle's going to need Tommy to understand what is happening to him because he is still underestimating it. He doesn't think that like, he thinks he got out. Like he thinks he's good. Like he made it scot-free. Like I, I beat the bastard. I got out and that's it. And Tommy's like, yeah. no, <laughs> let me tell you something about it's Jason. Never going to end, sir. Stopping him. He's like, I'm the only one to really do it. Not true. But um, but that, you know, you're going to have to trust me on this. And this is the only way we can take it down. It really becomes these characters who are just, uh, you know, kind of there. And it's nice because it, it I know this is going to be so cheesy, but it has a Star Wars quality to it. You know, and, you know, Andrew or Kyle is, you know, Luke Skywalker and Tommy Jarvis is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's really a similar story about that, about these two characters that are just like, um, you know, set on a journey to to discover 
and try to destroy an ultimate evil. And we watch their kind of, you know, their kind of thing kind of go there. We have Vinny Guastafar coming back. So he plays Sheriff Rick Cologne and becomes, you know, that very much what he was in part six to Tommy, the adversary, the person who doesn't believe Tommy, the one that wants Jason to be dead and gone so he can just run his little town and patrol his little town and not deal with anything. Um, And so they're at odds. And so there's a nice storyline between Tom and Vin about like what he really thinks is going on when things really start to happen in the town. Um, And then there's, you know, there's also some characters that we're going to introduce in Never Hike in the Snow that play a very important role in in the series. They're also kind of a, they're the, they, they almost become the most important character of all. Um, And that's why I'm really excited about the next version, which is Never Hike in the Snow, which is we're going to set up, we're going to see Tommy, we're going to see Vinny, but we're going to see two other characters, Mark and Diana Hill, and we're going to see their relationship and we're going to see one of them go missing. And we're going to see the impact that that has on the other one, you know, the town on Tommy, on Mm -hmm. Ben, on, on, I mean, on, on Rick and how that weighs on everybody and how it's going to set in process, a series of events Um, that when you start to pick up with the story and never hike again, and you come back for the next part, which is Jason takes crystal Lake, the way that some of these characters start to come back and the way they're integrated in the story and how their alliances between different characters vary based on the information that they have. They have a very, they have one story about what happened to this person, but then there's a real story. And so what happens when they find out the real story and they, they also yeah. find out. And it's really about like, you know, secrets never die. You know, they just, in curses never die. They just wait. They wait to be uncovered yeah. again. And, you know, for a long time, you know, this town has gotten by on hoping the bad thing will never come back, hoping no one will ever poke the bear. And unfortunately, Kyle McLeod has poked the bear. And it's going to have serious repercussions on a lot of different things for the Friday the 13th world. And who better to face that than Tommy Jarvis? Um, you know, he's the one we followed the most. You know, he, he you know, it, yeah. there's, there's just so much history with his character there. He came back from multiple films as a character. We feel like, you know, that's, that's kind of where to pick up the series. Um, not to say that there isn't a way to involve other people, but I think for now we focus on Tommy's story and, and what it is. And that's ultimately what this is. This next part is really a, a, the, f- the finale to Tommy Jarvis's story with Jason Voorhees and camp Crystal and Crystal Lake in general. Um, you know, and his, his reeling, cause he feels that he needs to stay and protect it. So we have two characters who both have the same goal to stay and protect Crystal Lake, but they both do it very different ways. Rick has his way. Tommy has his way. Rick has authority. Tommy doesn't, but he doesn't give a shit, which makes us love him because he don't give a shit about authority. And he just spits in the face of the cops yeah. and like really just like does whatever he wants. He's, he's become his own like cool version of crazy Ralph where there's nothing they can really do because no one's going to do anything to Tommy because the rest of the town loves Tommy. You know, they always have, he's grew up there. He's one of the locals. He is one yeah. of them. Rick is not one of the townies. And that's one thing that kind of, always weighs on Tommy's side is that people would rather believe Tommy than they would Rick. Um, and that pisses Rick off. Oh, I was yeah, about you know to say, I mean? I'm so sure I mean, that it's, it's, it's small town. America, drives them you know up the wall. I mean? So I think yeah. it's, it's a really good small town America type story built into a Friday the 13th film. Um, but, but that, oh, it, man. that it also attaches itself to a really cool mythos and it's really simple and it's very straightforward and it's, you know, and I'll dare to say it's emotional. 
um, you know, that's one thing I wanted to do was like, I, we all deeply care about this franchise. When things happen to characters, you want to feel for them. And I think we'll feel for Jason. We'll feel for Tommy. We'll feel for Kyle now because we're already attached to him. Um, and you're going to, and when you meet this new character, yeah. you're going to feel for them as well. You're going to, there's going to be a heavy burden that weighs over them. And that burden comes to a pass in, in the films and, and kind of really connects a story. And so we take this series, which has been all about death and killing people and really exploiting death and doing that and giving it a little bit of weight and showing how it affects people and showing, you know, how it, how it weighs things, you know, how that, how even just one death can, can weigh someone down. Um, and that's, you know, I think that an interesting thing to explore. And I think it takes Friday the 13th out of the typical and puts it in a realm where it has more room to breathe. And it has, you know, it, it has this, you know, new quality to it. It's like when they, I don't know, it's like <clears> what they did with like the new Watchmen series or even the way that like, you know, some of these, you know, streaming series have come to be, it's, it's like, there's a real like quality of like life to character. And it's not just, they're not just the cookie cutter things that you see in every single film, because it's got to be boiled down to 90 minutes. It's like now they're character studies. And I think that this will be the first time you've ever yeah. actually seen character studies of Friday the 13th characters, which will make them feel more grounded, which will make it feel like it's, it's content for adults. And you know what I mean? It's not just for teenagers anymore. It's not just a popcorn yeah. film. It's not a cheeseburger to walk down. But like, these are things that you'll watch down and be like, okay, I'm into this series. This is like Stranger Things. Like, I want to sit down and the first episode's only going to give me so much, but I know more is coming. And these characters are these characters and I just want to see more of them. Um, and I think that that's really the goal with this, doing this web series and, you know, making sure that, you know, our focus is story. And then as we get more support, and things build up for us that we turn that around and turn those into bigger kills, more kills, um, you know, big sequences and bringing that side of Friday the 13th back and having some fun, like nodding for, not forgetting to have fun, yeah. but like, let's <laughs> earn it. Like, you know what I mean? Like but, we're gonna, <laughs> not, not going yeah, to not outer, going space. outer space, but I mean, you know, having some fun with Jason, <laughs> oh, God. cause I think that that's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, I think we had a little bit of fun in the disappear music video. We got to do like a good triple kill, um, the show that Ghost Jason does yeah. have the ability to kill people. He's not crappy at it. He just, uh, you know, he just mm -hmm. wasn't dealing. He's just used to dealing with kids like that who aren't paying attention, who are living life. And that's, you know, what Friday the 13th was always all about. It was about, you know, people who were living freely and not paying attention and not, you know, just, you know, they were so focused on other things. They weren't focused on survival. And so a character was able to come up on them. And yeah. kill them. They were so worried about pleasure and love and, drugs and sex that they were too stupid to actually know that they were being stalked and killed um now now those characters are changing the world is changing you know the way people see themselves in films mm -hmm. and the way they recognize characters in films is different so you have to change the characters you have to change the game and i think that like never hike alone yeah. is a good stepping stone for that and that's how we want to continue on with that type of uh, spirit yeah, it's it, the development of of Kyle um, as a formidable, um, I don't say foe to Jason, but as a as an intruder onto uh, you know Jason's property and the existence that he has. I I won't say life, but uh, I I thought you did just a, a fantastic job at uh, developing that character and and even casting someone who 
is capable. Now I read that Drew Lady uh is he 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 was uh was he in the minor leagues? He's a fit know. dude. He played college is baseball. that right? I know that. Co- played, played college, college baseball. Played college baseball. Well, that's, that's one of the things we bonded over. Um I've known Drew for a long time. So Drew was a PA for me when I worked on a film called Rock Dog. I was the I don't know. Okay. I, I think I was many things for that. Maybe he wasn't in the minor I don't, leagues. I don't know. I'll ask him. He might have played minor league. He's good. I mean, he's really good. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's always been a rip dude. He's a surfer. He's a model. You know, he's actually really mostly mm-hmm. known for being a cover model for women's romance novels. Um, and yeah, so he goes to conventions and stuff. Yeah, right? <laughs> so am I. My my um, kid loves Rock Dog. To be really, they, they watch awesome. that all the time in uh, extended day, like aftercare. Oh. Well, that's good. It's good to know that people are watching it. Not a lot of people saw it in the theater, but we actually built that film in a live work loft in Venice. Maybe 12 people. Really? Just that's how we mostly built the film. And then real effects produced it into the back end. So they went through their, their, their uh, facilities in Dallas, but yeah, they're uh, based out of Dallas, Texas. Do you have a background in like Mm -hmm. uh, computer animation? Yeah, in fact, that, that's where I got the start in my career was I was actually um, my first ever real job was a production coordinator for Freebirds, which was a it came out 2000. Uh, no, we had a student that worked on that. Uh, well, I work at Full Sail University and oh, I teach okay. I teach 3D graphics. Oh, and nice. one of our students, uh, Kelsey, worked hmm. on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so I worked, I was, I was actually the first hire on that film. That was my first like real big job. I, I worked on the story department, the editorial department. Um, I worked with the director. The first director for that film was Ash Brandon, who directed Toy Stories 2 and Surf's Up and eventually directed Rock Dog. Um, okay. Eventually, uh, Ash was let go of that film and it was taken over by, uh, he was replaced with Jimmy Hayward, who directed Horton Hears a Who. Um, and I was there for, I think we worked on that film for three and a half years, a lot of ups and downs, but the story went all over the place. Mm. You know, it was, there was a lot of things that went into, into, the, into those films. I really learned a lot. I mean, I, I saw people who were very smart, who are very good at their jobs, um, you know, try to steer this really crazy premise into a workable movie. It was a challenge and people were challenged by it and people had different opinions. And it was, it took a long time before everyone settled on what they wanted. Um, and that was, you know, you talked about studio interference before that was one of my experiences that I saw. And so when we went to go make rock dog, we didn't have any of that. We were so off the grid and it was just us that Ash was able to actually have just an Artur like experience where he could just guide the film. And that's how Ash like really best directs is that he is, you know, very brilliant what he does. He's an amazing animator. He can do a lot of the work himself if you give him the pieces to just make it even better. Um, So he used to 2D animate the films before they became 3D films. You got to I mean, I wish I could show people these reels because they were so much fun to watch. Um, And we really created that without thing and everything went a lot faster and so i always thought like oh it'd be a lot fun to like kind of do this in live action same way and that's where never Alone kind of was first born but then i ended up getting a job um working for another company called original force animation where i worked on a film i i ended up getting credit on a film duck duck goose which came out i think in 2017 as well um and but i was actually working on another film at the time while i was working there so while i was making those films i was i was up at like production manager sort of producing um 
and working on a few things. I was making Never Hike Alone on the side while I was there. So I was very embedded in, in the in the animation world. I worked for three different independent animation companies, oh, wow. worked for people like Sandra Rabins and Penny Finkelman Cox, who were, you know, they they helped grow DreamWorks. They were one of the people there for like Shrek and you know, mm-hmm. everything that they did over there. Then they built Sony Pictures Animation. Um, they right now they're running Paramount animation. So it's, you know, I, I've worked for some really, really smart people and I learned a lot of things. And I came to a point in my career where I said, I want to do this for myself without any interference because I had pitched to people. I had ideas. I had original ideas and I pitched and I came up with stuff and I wrote a lot of stuff and I did a lot of rewrites on stuff that we were working on. And I improved a lot of dialogue and booth when I did voice acting and scratch records and really helped. There was, I had the creative energy. I just didn't have an outlet for it. You know, it was always have my little creative touch for the day and then go back to doing, you know, line producing and, you know, fixing the budget and, you know, figuring out everyone's work schedules and things like that. So I, I was going back and forth and I wanted an experience where I could just do something creative. And that's, that's how Never Hike Alone kind of took over. It was, that became the place where if I could assemble everything and I could get everybody here that nobody could tell us what to do, that we could do whatever we wanted and we could just like be really honest and, you know, let story guide us and and trust the process and not try to quantify it, but, you know, pay reverence to it and understand it and really try to study it and really treat it with respect and not rush it and force it. And so that ended up being a huge asset to us. And, you know, it was, it was really rewarding when you got to kind of get to do that. You kind of get to push those things aside and say, no, this is what I'm really passionate about. This is what I want to do and actually be able to kind of jump in and make it happen. What is it like when you hit now I've, I've never crowdfunded anything, but what is that feeling when you uh, hit, hit submit and you, you put it out there into the uh, universe? You mean like a crowdfunding campaign? Is that, oh. yeah. Is that absolutely the most agonizing thing <laughs> yeah. in the world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crowdfunding is daunting. It's, it's a lot of work. You're at, you, you feel like yeah. a nuisance and I do, I feel like an absolute nuisance on, on social media. And I know, but the thing is, it's like, I wouldn't be in, you know, I sure but I wouldn't be a nuisance <laughs> if it didn't work. God, man, I, I, I hope to see us some, sometime here. In I would Orlando. love to. I mean, I'm always trying to get out uh, some more cons. Um, I'm really bad at it. I mean, I, I really need to talk to somebody. I mean, I've been yeah. lucky enough. I got to give a shout out to Brooklyn Ewing, uh, of house of any horror who works through mm-hmm. days of the dead and Stacy Pippi, who runs Reels of the Dead. Those two have been instrumental in getting me on the Days of the Dead um, conventions. So like the next one coming up is Atlanta. I am I have a, an invite to anyone I ever want to go to. We might be shooting them. So I got to figure that out. Um, I want to go to that because Atlanta is a place where I've never been. I went to Charlotte this year, Chicago, uh, Vegas, Phoenix. Um, where else today? We've got a... We've got a decent sized convention yeah. that happens here yeah, in Orlando. Our, uh, yeah, last year. Our, yeah. No, but I, yeah, I go ahead. I know about that one. It's, 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 I've heard of it. It's just, it's one of those. Yeah. Spooky, Spooky Empire. Empire. Yep. Oh. Oh, no. I was talking about Megacon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Megacon. As much I mean, as I want that to happen from, my, from Derek, who does, I have a friend of mine that does. Um, pretty intense horror comics. Uh, he said that the crowd at Megacon it never really takes to hardcore horror, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. 
That that's makes why sense. Yeah, but, I, I, the Empire I am, I am familiar with, and that's one that you know. It's kind of one of those things where, like, usually fans hook me up with it. They go, "Hey, you need to talk to this person," or they email them and, and kind of get them there. It's really, it really kind of works that way. Um, mm-hmm. I'll reach out. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys want to, we, we I always say, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't hurt. Um, I'm always so focused on kind of the things that I'm doing here that you know when I get an opportunity and it presents itself and I say yeah I can put I can put together the scratch to get a ticket to go out there you know usually I'm able to bring some Blu-rays with me and earn my trip um, which has been really good that's mm-hmm. how I've been doing it um, and getting just to do photo ops and things like that which I do for free I usually bring Ghost Jason with me walk around do cosplay um, and cosplay other things too I got a Myers I got a Roy that I do so I I still like to like participate and have fun and kind of be there as part of the fandom but also somewhat as a quasi z-less celebrity <laughs> that uh you know i kind of <laughs> like in the back corner uh, where no one really is and if you come find me well you know I've, I've you know i've had really great interactions with fans and it's, it's fun to see people and i've gotten to know a lot of people on the circuit now so um you know i'm, I'm it's been fun I, I it's been really fun kind of getting on the circuit and getting accustomed to the fans and really getting to like know the horror fan base at its core and it's been a lot of uh you know it's been too bad that i've missed out on it for so long it's never too late to start greg i'm i'm thinking of some ideas here we were talking about back backyard wrestling a little <laughs> bit earlier and uh, there is a in my backyard. Uh, no greg not you, Rob. No, there's a uh, at Spooky Empire last year. The well, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. The last time it. Spooky Empire was in Orlando, they had a uh, some wrestling matches with these uh, semi-professional wrestlers, and they were all dressed as horror characters. So you had, you know, uh, Ash versus uh, God. Who? I mean, Leatherface was there, and it was amazing. Um, so we might have have to. Uh, try and get you in the room <laughs> well that, uh, would, that would make one of my uh, producers uh christian asensio he's one of our associate producers he's a huge wrestling buff and he actually trains maybe what we can do is we can get him in there and i'll dress him up like ghost chase and that would and we'll have to come up with like a mask that like can velcro to the face that way it won't come off yeah we nice totally or we could totally maybe we can make i will talk to him about this <laughs> He, Talk to him about, about that. Wrestling. He I'm is, gonna. He's all about it. Um... Nope, Greg's dead. <laughs> done. <laughs> Greg's died. Okay, yeah, yeah it'd be entertaining for a little while. Ow. I could feel it. So, so I got a couple questions here. Um, I think we should do a few, like maybe quick round questions based on these yeah, ones sure that you wrote, Jimmy. Um, the one that yeah. came to mind was: um, Did you get to sneak any Easter eggs into? Uh, never hike alone from the original movies uh yeah well i mean the obviously the the obvious one was um the ribbons but like that's steve christie's mm-hmm. playboy i can i always considered steve christie to be a little bit of a perv so um that's his playboy um i don't know there were little things little easter eggs there's like a sign from like my parents camp that's in there um hockey masks that are hanging on the wall some things didn't make it um when he flicks the gas can that was kind of a nod to the video game like hey found the gas um the uh <laughs> and then um the turquoise jason yeah turquoise jason pops up and he's like you hear like the and you're like that hard ass you know, game um I'm trying mm. to think just uh we were just trying to we were trying to just recreate crystal lake 
in that style of the camp. You know what I mean? What the camp afforded us, like instead of having like the typical Camp Crystal Lake sign, we did the diamond shaped crest. And so it was our way of like reshaping it in a way. So a lot of it is just more inspired by rather than like direct, like this is it. Because we didn't have the exact Christie office. We didn't have the exact, um, uh, well, actually my favorite one is in the shower. When he looks up and there's that lamp that's swinging that was such an important part of like Thomas Savini's story about like how he got the axe gag to work is that it hits the axe and it makes it feel real when it hits the lamp. So I wanted to make sure the lamp was still there above the, you know, above the, the shower curtain when we pulled it open to make it more accurate, even because we knew it wasn't the same shower room. But if we put that there, it was like, look, there are elements that are still the same. So we're like, it's different universe, but same element. You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's just a, connection it's just using the same yeah. pieces. So we tried to use that for as much as that we could, really. I mean, the never the no trespassing sign um, from part two uh, mm-hmm. that we used on, on the, the barbed wire, very similar looking barbed wire fence as well. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that. Nice. Uh, did you want to ask the playlist question, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm. I'm always just curious. What what uh, what are you listening to right now? What's what's on your uh your year in Spotify wrap up that you have on. I know I looked at mine today and it's like all that's funny because I just actually started using Spotify. No, lie. I just, Mm -hmm. I always just had like, I was, I just listened to the same music over and over. Like I don't. Yeah. Um, But then I've just got turned on to Spotify. And so I've started to kind of use that, but I started, I just started listening to um, a band called light the torch, which is uh, kill switch engages um, ex lead singer Howard another band called the Dead okay. No, and then they changed the name to Light the Torch, and they just got a new album. So that's been on repeat for a while. Um, I've been listening to The Damned Things, um, which is kind of like a super group. This guy's from like Every Time I Die and Anthrax and uh, and then like Fallout Boy. Uh, but it's like a cool yeah. like kind of pop metal thing that I've been listening to. And then every like every I've year, seen... In Flames, Soil Work, Dark Tranquility, early albums, like the early stuff, but I actually, I really like a lot of the new soil work stuff too. And, you know, in flames comes out with a new album every year uh, or every other year. And it's mm-hmm. okay. But like, I don't know. I always have like Oracle and Clayman on repeat. I listen to the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> I actually been listening to a lot of Wu-Tang this year. I will say that that's been, that's nice. been creeping up in my playlist. So Very that's nice. probably the newest edition. I've been listening to a lot. Should uh, do a search for Wugazi. It's a mixtape of Wu of Wu Tang and and Fugazi. It's really good. All right, all right. Yeah, my brothers are big Wu Tang fans, and so I I mean I always knew I know most I know a lot of Wu Tang songs, but I never really like sat down and like listened to Wu Tang. Mm-hmm. So I finally sat down mm-hmm. and said, "All right, like educate yeah, me." I, I know almost educate me. <laughs> And so I, I, yeah, I can, I can rap along cannot. every song with every, well, yeah, with every song on 36 chambers. I'm getting there. Uh, there would be somewhere <laughs> on here uh, on these walls, there would be a 36 chambers album, uh, hanging up. But, uh, after my fiance and I moved in together, that was the she, one that went that um, gone, like all this stuff right here. Yeah. I can put it in my office. Actually, I need to. A man of work up here is what I need. Yeah, you got to respect the woo. You should. That's where you should. You'd be like, oh come on, baby, you got to respect the woo. Like you can't. Yeah, I need to put it. Put it right over here. That's what I need to do. There's a spot. Uh, for so, it. how about some uh, some advice to filmmakers you have on here? 
I, I mean, it's usually the, the same thing. It's it, the, the best thing. The thing about filmmaking is never quitting. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's part of it. You know, never quitting can also drive you into the ground, into debt and never getting it done. The other side of that is have a good plan and stick to it. You know, a lot of people get a plan and then they deviate where somebody comes in with one idea and another idea. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's no longer their idea anymore. And so they don't know how to direct it anymore. Once you have an idea, just remember this. We used to have a saying when we were in, in editorial, if we went through and watched a set of reels and we laughed at a joke, we remember we laughed at that joke because 500 reviews later, we're not going to laugh at that joke. It's just going to be the, you know, it's just like the symbol hit, like, okay, that hits there. That hits the, mm-hmm, bah. is that even funny anymore? Is that even funny anymore? And everyone starts to doubt everything when you realize like you're on a mission, you've accomplished that mission, move on, go to the next thing, go to the next thing and just keep just keep achieving. And even if you fail along the way, put it behind you, move on to the next thing until you're done and until you're there. And you just have to live with whatever you've made. Um, I made a lot of bad things before I made Never Hike Alone. Um, I made one pretty cool thing before I made Never Hike Alone, but there was a lot of trial and error. And I pitched a lot of things like in, in, um, in like story meetings and things like that, that got shot down. And I had to learn good story by being shot down a lot in like rooms with professionals, like trying to pitch with professionals, come up with ideas, break story, lead story reviews. Um, That was something that, that like, because of that training, I wanted to have a chance to do it, um, you know, untethered. And so it's, it's a, Mm -hmm. it all came down to focusing on what we wanted to do and then get it done as best as possible. And that's how I've done every single project is focus down your project, have a clear vision and then don't give up because it's going to get hard. Filmmaking is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. There's no way to make it easy. It's going to be a pain in the ass the entire time and everything's going to work against you. And the minute you let it take you over, you're going to lose your film and you're not going to get what you want. You just got to stay positive and you got to treat your people with respect and you'll all get through it together and just surround yourself with smart people. Awesome. Thank you. I, well, we always ask that to people because we do have um, some you know, film students that listen and graphic awesome. designers and all that. Yeah. I, I, uh, Greg was my boss um, at, at, uh, at Full Sail. Yeah. We were teaching animation I, there. I and for doing I've, this weird uh, thing with this donkey. That's not true. No, I, I now I now work in the show business, the business of putting on shows, and I do oh, architectural yeah, and, and donkey shows. Assholes, I, I do I do three D cool. renderings of large events now, and uh, yeah, it's it's large really awesome. large but events. Very, one thing I would say to to students, um, I feel like students come out of school, and I did I did this, and no one really told me this type of advice was. When you get out of school, you really want to make this big impression wherever you want to go. You want to show people that you stand out and you want to do these things. You really want to work your way up fast. You want to move your way up the ladder. Don't do that. Go to a place. Yeah. Just zip your lips and listen because there's going to be so many people who have been doing it professionally longer than you who know a lot and they're going to screw up. Let them screw up. Let them be the ones to make the mistakes and you're just there to support them. And by supporting them, you're going to learn so much. And then by being a PA or being an assistant or being, you know, uh, you know, if you're not even doing animation, you're doing assistant animation where you're just like setting things up and, and you're not getting to do the full fledged thing of what you want to do. That's okay because that's your time to get your PhD, your master's and your PhD. 
because that's where you're going to get your street smarts and you're going to learn really cool things that you really can't learn unless you're in that environment, how pipelines work, how things like that. And once you get a full grasp of it, you'll ascend quickly. And those are the people that don't get off to fast starts, but eventually in their career, they end up in higher places and people who kind of start fast and then sputter. And so students should really like appreciate the fact that when you're a PA, you're going to be paid enough to pay your rent and do some fun things and enjoy your life and date and go out to things and go to concerts and get time off and not have to mess around. Enjoy those years because as soon as you start moving up the ladder, you're there a little bit later every night. You're there on the weekends. You're there in the big <laughs> meetings. You're there the first. If you're not there early, you're in big trouble. You know, it's you get more and more responsibility. So do you really want all that responsibility the minute you get out of college or do you want to actually enjoy your job for a little Ooh. bit and actually learn? Yeah. And then by the time you do get there, you have that confidence. No one was pushing you to be like, you got to be there because that's the only person who's doing it because everyone else in that company wants you to learn. So learn. And the more you do that, and the more you listen, the more people will respect you. And the faster you'll find that you'll actually be better prepared for every job that faces you from there on that. And then you can make your jumps. And once you have that kind of that experience, then you can start moving around and shaking things up and showing people what you can do. And I think that that's one thing I wish somebody would have told me I was always a pain in the ass. And I get that. And I'm sorry to everybody because um, <laughs> I wanted to prove myself. But as this moon and I, the moment I learned to shut up and listen was when I really is when my career really started to like take heed. And and I would say that if I would have yeah. done that earlier, I might have not gotten into trouble with a few things as, as I did. Um, but that's, I mean, that's how you learn. You hmm. know what I mean? So nice. So we are going to close it out here and I'm not sure if you know much about our podcast or if Jimmy told you this, did, did you tell us much? We did not discuss this because I didn't, I didn't know that we were going okay, to well, do it. We're, we're going to put but, you. Okay. So first of all, um, we're putting you on the spot here and know that um, this this is not binding, but the podcast is called the Give Me Five Podcast because at the end of whatever episode we talk about, we will do a top five list. So, for example, if we talked about like a superhero team up movie, we did top five superhero team ups or, okay. you know, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So since we have you here. I think we uh, – I really want to know what your top five favorite kills in the Friday the 13th series is. And I'm going to take yours out because I know that yours you probably enjoy. Um, and so you start at five, which would be your fifth favorite, down to number one. Let's, let's do it this favorite. way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do five through two. Might not necessarily be in order because I might think of them in different order. But these are like the ones below the one that I think is the greatest kill. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see if mine's on right. your list. So, and Jason kills count too. So, definitely in my tops are one, like not number one, but Pamela getting beheaded, which was awe inspiring to me when I was a kid. Jason getting yeah. the the machete to the head and falling on it, which was insane. Um, let me now go into my other the ones that like really stuck with me. Um, so no there's none in that one that's kind of one not that one yeah i'm so impressed right now right hmm. yeah okay so they're definitely in, in the earlier series so um one of my other favorite ones was jimmy when he gets the cleaver to the face that i like that too yeah the corkscrew to the face that was that one really 
kind of screwed me up. But then I also liked learning later that they did it in reverse and kind of the way that they pulled that one off. Um, and then my other, my other favorite kill, um, you know, let me think. Oh, um, what's his name? What's uh, Tommy's buddy's name at the beginning of part six? Forgetting it. Haas. Is it Haas? Nas or hot or something like that. But the dude gets his heart punched out. Um, Oh, yeah. But my all-time favorite kill is part two, Mark, machete to the face, wheelchair down the stairs, which used to just freak the (laughs) shit out of me as a kid because one, Jason attacked somebody (laughs) in a wheelchair, which I thought was totally a low blow. And then the fact that, like, whoever, (laughs) like, because I don't think it was a dummy. I think it was a stunt guy rolling backwards on that chair. It just, like, the thought of it freaked me out so much. And so, yeah, so that one always gets me. So those, I'd say for now, let's call those my top five. You do that. I got to say my, I I don't have a five and and we're all not going to do it. I I don't think, but uh, my ultimate favorite kill is uh, the uh, Jason versus the, uh, the boxer. Uh, it's that Jason takes Julius. Manhattan. I was thinking about Julius is one of my favorites. Get the head knocked off at rolling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, show me what you got, or, or Jason hit me with your best shot. Head off. Yeah, <laughs> hit me with your best, best shot. shot. Uh, yeah. The the one the only one that I can remember right now that comes to mind, and it was just because I thought it was hilarious, was I think it was yeah. Jason X. That's the one yeah. in space, right? Where where he dunks the girl's face in the in the uh, liquid nitrogen or whatever it is. And then picks oh, her up yeah. and just like shatters yeah. her face on the table. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, that's, that's actually, hilarious. I, I do enjoy Jason X to a certain degree. It's, I mean, it, it, you expect it to be campy. It is campy. It's stupid. It's funny. Um, the score is ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. another good one. Um, uh, and then how about we got to get to the last one? Uh, for, for me? Yeah. Oh, geez. Kevin Bacon, just because it's mm. Kevin Bacon. That is also, yeah. We got to get to Kevin Bacon, man. <laughs> Damn. Messed yeah. up, Greg. The Sheriff Garris is also on my uh, honorable mention, getting bent backwards. That one's that one's a good one. I've seen a lot of things recently that played off of Friday the 13th, so I'm, I'm a little worried to put myself on record here saying like, oh, the one where someone got stabbed through a bunk bed. When I, and they're like, no, that was like American Horror Story. No, that was that was also on. Uh, I think they probably stole it from Friday the Thirteenth, which stole it from Bay of Blood, the one where it was the double impalement through the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was actually from Bay of Blood. Uh, okay, so I that, don't know that, if they ripped that, that up or not. Yeah, it's almost oh. shot for shot too. Uh, so let's plug stuff. So how All can right. people support you? How can people? So um, we're obviously so we're on YouTube um, at Wompstom Films. Slash, I mean YouTube slash, dot com slash Wompstom Films. W O M P S T O M P F I L M S dot com is uh, also our website. We're on Facebook. We are on uh, Instagram, and we are on Twitter. All at Wompstom Films. You can't miss us. You see Jason stuff everywhere, um, and we still have our Never Hike in the Snow Indiegogo indiegogo going on right now in demand we have a limited amount of perks left um that we've left up so you can still get producer tiers uh you can still get a blu-ray for the the never hike alone you can pre-order for um never hike in the snow we have thank yous that are still there 
Um, we're also crowdfunding for Dylan's New Nightmare, which is a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, fan film directed by Cecil Laird of, of the horror show uh, and starring Miko Hughes as mm-hmm. Chase Porter coming back. Basically, it's a it's a yep. sequel. It's an unofficial sequel to Wes Craven's New Nightmare uh, where Freddie is uh, coming after Dylan. He's regaining strength now and, and coming after Dylan as an adult. Also associated with uh, the guys over at Jason Rising, who are also in demand right now. Uh, they just raised an additional $5,000 for the uh, post-production of their film. I'm going to Portland in two weeks to see uh, Friday the 13th, part one and two at the Hollywood Theater uh, with Amy Steele and Adrian King are both going to be in attendance. And I'm going to be going as guests with uh, James Sweet and Carl, uh, Carl Winery, who um, – who, uh, who's the DP for that film as well. James is the, is the director for Jason rising and they're going to be coming out with their fan film sometime next year. They're at the later stages of filming now. Um, yeah. So that's everything I'm pretty much involved with right now. Um, along with some other cool original stuff that I'm working on that we'll, we'll have, you know, more to talk about as the years go on. Um, our film pathosis was just, uh, inducted into the, uh, Telluride Horror Show. We play that this October. Uh, we'll be doing more festivals next year with it. We just got into Panic Fest, which we'll be playing in January. So our original short will be at Panic Fest, I believe, July 25th. I mean, January 25th to the 27th in Kansas City. Um, and then I just released a new – I just started submitting a new script uh, to some contests as well called Ghost Chicken, which should be uh, – hopefully it will do well. It's a fun horror comedy that I wrote when I was bored. Um, and I don't know. I, I It grew on me. Yeah, no, it, it grew on me, and and I, I'm it's a story I love. So I started submitting it. I want to get some feedback on it, and hopefully one of these days I'll be able to raise some money for it and uh, and shoot it, and hopefully not having a crowdfund, <laughs> just every- raise some straight up cash if somebody wants to make a fun short that will kill it in some festivals. Yeah. No pun intended. No, thank you guys. No, yeah, Vin, thank you so much for for taking the time out to to talk to uh, to some some real fans of your work awesome. and uh, talking to you. You know, just just well, I, thank I can't you. Wait for uh, the rest of the web series and whatever you crowdfund. Sir, well, I'll we be appreciate there. that, and I think anyone listening to this who has also yeah. supported it, I want to thank you as well. You know, we're not able to do this without you, and just pat yourself on the back because as fans we've come together and we've made this happen you know we're the ones kind of pushing it together but fans are supporting it where the base is fans you know we can't do this without you so you know it, it's I, yeah. i'm always humbled when when you know i get a chance to talk to people and it's always fun to talk about this stuff because i think you guys get a chance to see how nerdy about this stuff i really am i'm not just some dude saying oh, like, yeah. oh well i heard <laughs> they make you know pretty good stuff on those fan films they get a pretty good crowdfunding thing i think i'll make my own no i mean i'm like I love this stuff. Like I just want an opportunity to do this. This is the only thing I ever wanted to do with my life was make Friday the 13th, work on Friday the 13th, make Jason kill people, do stuff, real stuff. I never thought I'd do it this way. I'm always thought I'd make more of a classic style film, but life led me down this path. And now here we are. Thank you so much, sir. Absolutely amazing. All right, guys, that's going to close us out for tonight. Thank you for joining us again. As always, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod, or you can email us directly, Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And guys, remember, we love to get emails from our listeners. Hear what you guys think of the show. Here, give us your lists. We'll even read them on the air. 
So please also leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're using. It really helps other people find us and it helps us stand out. Hi, this is Jimmy. I'm checking in. You, you, you could also go to a store. People would love some stuff from the Give Me Five podcast.threadless.com store. Perhaps, uh, what, what can they get? Can they get some gefilte fish there? I, with, with the Give Me Five special brand on it, yes. Yes, oi. Perhaps a nice yamaka or um, the the Gimme Five Menorah, and we'll we'll even age the gavilta fish so that you can get your very own Gimme Five maggots. Oh, you're such a good boy! I told your grandmother such nice things about you. I just want to pinch your cheeks right now because I, Jimmy, while I couldn't be there, I decided to chime in just for this moment. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Oh, I think I need to do Jimmy's ending, don't I? Yes. Oh. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, and oh, I've got such a hemorrhoid. I'm sorry to hear that, Jimmy. Listening to the oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, didn't realize you'd hit record. My bad. <laughs>